it was a tough, tough day for your boy yesterday, uh, watching the Vikings lose to the Lions. Even though I called it, I think on this program, podcast, uh, three weeks ago, maybe three episodes ago, I think I called it, that the Vikings would lose that game to the Lions. I just know it. You know, it just, they know how to rip your heart out. That's just what they do. Hello, everybody. Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. Good afternoon, good evening. Uh, it is the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. I am your host, James Timberlake. We're going to get into a bunch of different topics. Cowboys football, Cowboys basketball, Cowgirls basketball, uh, the Broncos. We're going to talk about the MLB lockout for a little bit. I'm going to kind of explain what is going on there in the simplest, um, most downgrading ways I can because I am not a lawyer. But first, we are going to jump into some local sports action. It is officially week one for the local winter sports teams, the Sheridan Bronc and Lady Bronc basketball teams will start the season on the road, taking part in a three-day tournament this Thursday in Riverton, where both teams will take on Star Valley, Jackson, and Riverton. That will last until Saturday, I believe. Uh, the Bighorn and Tongue River basketball teams will open their season with a tournament as well, tra- taking part in the East-West tournament in Level, starting on Friday and running through Saturday. The Sheridan Bronc wrestling team will open their season on Thursday with a duel against Warland at home, beginning at 5 p.m. They then will hit the road and take part in a two-day tournament in Powell throughout the rest of the weekend. The Tongue River Wrestling team will begin their season when they match against the Sheridan JV team on Thursday as well. Wrapping up the local high school sports, the Sheridan Bronx Swimmers and Divers will open their season this weekend as well, heading to Laramie to take part in relays on Friday and Saturday. The winter sports season for the high schools is officially here. You'll be able to hear the Bronx basketball games and the Lady Bronx basketball games all season long on 1410 AM and 106.9 FM KWYO. And we'll have coverage for the rest of those teams on SheridanMedia.com as well. Finally, this weekend, the Sheridan Hawks will continue their season. The Hawks are coming off another two-loss weekend, falling to the Bozeman Ice Dogs 5-1 to on Friday, then 7-3 to on Saturday. Reed Hohan was the lone goal. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that name. He's new here. We couldn't find out what his name, how to say it. So I'm guessing Reed Hohan. Correct me if I'm wrong was the lone goal scorer for the Hawks on Friday, finding the back of the net for the, for his first goal of the season for the Sheridan Hawks in the third period. Katie McDonald opened the scoring in the second game with his 12th goal of the year in the first period. Then Mason Fredericks captured a brace with one goal in the second period and another in the third in the loss for his second and third goals of the season. The Hawks will look to snap this seven-game losing streak they are currently riding when they take on the Badlands Sabres at home on Friday and Saturday with the puck scheduled to drop at 7.30 in both of those games. The Wyoming Cowboy football team finally got their bowl invitation for the 2021 college football uh, postseason after waiting these past few weeks. The Pokes will be playing in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl at Boise State's Albertson, Albertson's, I can't say that, Albertson Stadium against the MAC Conference runner-up Ohio-based Kent State Golden Flashes on Tuesday, December 21st at a bad time at 1.30 p.m. on a Tuesday. Um, so take the day off work if you want to watch the Cowboys, I guess is what they're saying. Uh, this will be Wyoming's second appearance in this bowl game. They first played it in this game back in, tw- they first played in this game back in 2017 when they took on Central Michigan and won 37 to 14. This will be Kent State's first appearance in this particular bowl game, and this will be the first time these two teams have ever faced one another. In the coming weeks before this matchup, I'll kind of go through and outline Kent State's season, starting with their schedule and then moving on to, uh, individual standouts and then their team stats as a whole. Uh, before the game kicks off on the 21st. So, the Golden Flashes began the season with a very, very tough few matchups. First to open the season, they traveled to then-sixth-ranked Texas A&M and got blown out in that one 41-10. to 
Then the Golden Flashes got themselves a tune-up game when they took on the FCS school VMI, and Kent State ran away with that one, winning 60-10. to Then Kent State had another very tough road trip, taking on fifth-ranked at the time, Iowa, and Iowa won that one handily 30-7. The Golden Flashes then had to hit the road again, this time to take on Maryland, where they fell in that one as well, 37-16, to concluding their non-conference schedule, where they went 1-3. and So as the MAC conference schedule began, the Kent State Golden Flashes were 1-3 and with their two most difficult games behind them. However, they were able to turn it around to open the MAC conference season, beating Bowling Green, Bowling Green at home 27-20. excuse me. They, then they beat uh, Buffalo at home 48-38 as well. They then hit the road again, this time to Central Michigan, and suffered their biggest loss of the season, falling to the Broncos 64-31. But the Flashes bounced back, getting their first road win of the season when they beat in-state rival Ohio 34-27. They then came back home and got a victory, a big victory over Northern Illinois, 50, 52 to 47, a team they'll see late, they'd see later in the season. Um, however, the Flashes hit the road and the road woes bit them again. This time, falling to Central Michigan, 54 to 30. The Flashes got a turnaround game when they traveled to Akron to take on the lowly Zips, who were one in seven at the time, I believe. And the Flashes handled them easily, shutting out, shutting Akron out, 38 to nothing. To this point. Kent State was 6-5 and five and 5-2 five and two in conference and were tied with the Miami of Ohio for first place in the East Division of the MAC. That set up an all-important sort of play-in game with Miami in the final week of the regular season for a spot in the MAC championship. It was one of the best games of the season in all of college football. Miami of Ohio jumped out to an early 16-7 lead halfway through the second quarter. However, Kent State came back and jumped out in front with three straight scoring drives, including a 79-yard TD run to open the third quarter, making it a 24-16 lead for the Golden Flashes. They continued to go back and forth until the fourth quarter. Kent State opened the final period of play with a field goal to go up 34-23 with 14 minutes remaining. Then Miami of Ohio scored on the ensuing drive in three plays to make it a 34-31 ball game. But Kent State answered right back with a one-play, 70-yard drive that extended the lead back out to 10 points for the Golden Flashes at 41-31. But the Miami Redhawks would not go away, scoring on the next drive, making it a 41-38 to lead for Kent State with 10 minutes to play. However, the next 10 minutes would be scoreless until Miami of Ohio got the ball on their own 20 with 4.38 left and proceeded to run a 17-play, 80-yard drive that ended with Kent State stopping Miami twice on the two-yard line, forcing the Redhawks to tie the game up with a 20-yard field goal that sent the game into overtime, tied at 41. Kent State got the ball to start overtime, and ran six plays to score first, making it 48-41. to However, the Red Hawks scored immediately on the ensuing possession, scoring on a 25-yard touchdown pass on the first play of their overtime possession. But Miami, Miami of Ohio wanted to end the game right there, lining up for a two-point conversion that would decide who won the MAC East and would participate in the MAC championship. Miami lined up, Miami of Ohio lined up in a two-tight end set with two receivers on the outside and one on the inside, and ran a play-action jet sweep that left a wide receiver with one-on-one coverage on the outside with cornerback Montre Miller. However, Montre Miller made a made arguably his biggest play of the season, knocking down the pass, ending the game, giving Kent State a 48-47 victory, clinching the MAC East title, and punched their ticket to the MAC championship game against Northern Illinois. The MAC championship game that season or this season was a game uh, was a MAC championship game was a rematch of the last time Kent State was in the MAC championship back in 2012 and a rematch of the Northern Illinois matchup earlier this season when uh, they fell to Northern Illinois in the 2012 championship in double overtime 44 to 37 but Kent State beat Northern Illinois this year earlier in the season 52 to 47. 
This time, though, Northern Illinois left no doubt, beating Kent State 41-23, to and it wasn't particularly close. Northern Illinois led 38-10 to late in the fourth quarter, and the Golden Flashes got some garbage time scores to make it look closer than it was. Kent State ended their regular season and entered this bowl game against the Pokes 7-6 and with a 6-3 and record in conference play. They were 2-5 and on the road and 5-0 and at home, something that should favor the Cowboys as they definitely got the better end of the deal in terms of location as they'll basically be pay- playing in uh, their backyard at a field they've played at countless times before in Boise. Next week we'll get, we'll get into some of the uh, individual standouts on this Kent State team, and believe me, they certainly have some, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Moving on to, ba- actually, we're not moving on to basketball yet. We're going to talk about the college football championship weekend, which was last weekend, this most recent weekend. Uh, the Pac-12 championship happened, the SEC championship happened, all the conference championships happened, all the big ones, and uh, it was a big week for football, especially for college football. The Pac-12 championship, uh, Utah, 17th-ranked Utah, dominated Oregon for the second time this season, winning the Pac-12, beating Oregon 38 to 10, it was not particularly close. Obviously, uh, Utah dominated throughout this game, and they dominated Oregon all season long. It was kind of a weird and uh, sputtery end for the Oregon Ducks, who were looking like playoff hopefuls just a few weeks ago. Um, the big game of the uh, the big game of the day: Alabama versus Georgia. Alabama took on Georgia, and Alabama throttled Georgia, 41 to 24. Georgia looked like one of the best defensive teams we'd seen in college football all season long, maybe ever. Uh, but Bryce Young and this Alabama offense torched them. Bryce Young threw for 421 yards and three touchdowns. Georgia gave up more than half, almost half of their points that they'd given up all season long in this game alone. So they almost matched the total number of points they'd given they'd given up all season long in just this game. And um, Alabama is the SEC champion once again, and Kirby Smart has yet to beat Nick Saban and get over that hump, even with one of the best defenses of all time. So... We'll see what happens in the playoff. Uh, Michigan took on Iowa in the Big Ten championship game, and of course Michigan dominated in that one, 42-3. to No problems for Michigan. They'll be making their way into the college football playoff as well, and they'll be taking on Georgia. Um, not a whole lot of thoughts from this one. Michigan is by far the better team. Iowa has no offense to Iowa fans. I apologize. They play a super old-school way of football that does not match up with anybody else in any sort of game. They were ranked second in this they were ranked second in the AP poll at one point this year, but this is what Iowa does, you know? This they're not going to beat any big time college football program anytime soon like this, I promise. Not in the game that they play. I I apologize for any Iowa fans out there. That's it's a tough watch. Um the American Athletic Conference Championship game was fourth ranked Cincinnati took on twenty first ranked Houston. Uh, Cincinnati won that one 35-20. They pulled away late, uh, mostly in the third quarter, scoring 21 points in the third quarter. And um, they punched their ticket. They're the only remaining undefeated team in college football, and they punched their ticket to the college football playoff game. Excuse me, the college football playoff as well uh, as the only remaining undefeated team. They're the fourth-ranked team in the college football playoff, and it'll be uh, Alabama first-ranked, second-ranked is Michigan, Third ranked is Georgia, and fourth ranked is Cincinnati, obviously. So it'll be Georgia, or excuse me, Alabama versus Cincinnati, and then Michigan versus Georgia to uh, get the conference, cha- or excuse me, the national championship laid out. Uh, the Big 12 championship didn't end up having any sort of playoff implications at all in the end. Um, it was actually kind of a defensive game 
uh, Spencer Sanders for Oklahoma State threw four interceptions. It was kind of an ugly game for him, and um, I'm disappointed in Oklahoma loss of this team because they did not look very good. Baylor put on a clinic on defense, winning 21-16. to um, It came down to a goal line stand that was just, just, just an inch away from going Oklahoma State's the way they. If you watch the replay of this game and just watch the uh, watch the the final play of this game as the time winds down, they are so they are mere inches away from getting the Big 12 championship and having a shot at the um, at the college football playoff. But it it didn't happen. And Baylor is uh, your Big 12 champion. Uh, the ACC championship game, a game without Clemson for one of the first times as long as I can remember, probably 10 years. I want to say something close to that. Um, it was between Pittsburgh and Wake Forest, and Pittsburgh came out and uh, blew out Wake Forest. Wake Forest scored all of their points in the first quarter, with Pittsburgh winning 45-21. to And uh, Kenny Pickett continues to show that he is a uh, he might be a top pick in this next upcoming draft. He went 20-for-33, uh, 253 yards and two touchdowns. He's going to be a great player, hopefully, once he moves on to the NFL. And finally, the Mountain West Conference Championship game was between Utah State and 19th-ranked San Diego State. And uh, Utah State dominated this game, blew out San Diego State, winning 46-13. to This is a team that the, the Cowboys beat just a few weeks ago, and they are Mountain West Conference champions and blowing out the uh, the, favored, the favorite San Diego State Aztecs, 46-13. to in that. Delicious McDonald's deals are now more fun, more accessible, and better than ever through the McDonald's mobile app. Get free large fries when you download the app and join my McDonald's rewards. Get your choice of hash browns, vanilla cone, McChicken, or a cheeseburger free after your first purchase. The new mobile ordering feature lets you use your smartphone to place your order, pay for it, pick it up. Go to Google Play or Apple App Store and download the new McDonald's mobile app and start saving today. McDonald's, there's an app for that. So Utah State is your conference champion for the Mountain West. And uh, we will now move on to... Cowboy basketball. The Cowboys are one of the 12 remaining teams in college basketball to still be undefeated as of Monday, and they extended their record to 8-0 on on Saturday when they beat McNeese at home 79-58. Guard Hunter Maldonado led the team with 20 points. Forwards Graham Ike and Jeremiah Odin both pitched in double-doubles, with Ike scoring 18 points and grabbing 10 rebounds, while Odin dropped 13 points and snatched 10 boards as well. Guard Brendan Wenzel also added 11 points off the bench for the Pokes in that one. Uh, the Pokes now look forward to their toughest and biggest matchup of the young season when they take on one of the uh, the other 11 undefeated teams on the road in the 11th-ranked Arizona Wildcats on Wednesday. Tip is scheduled for 8 p.m. in that one. That is a huge game, a huge um, a measuring point for the Cowboys. Can they ride with the big dogs um, with the other undefeated teams? I'm going to say probably not. I don't think it will be a blowout by any means, but uh, this is a whole different animal. You know, you're going from... Going from middle of the middle of the pack to the blue bloods, right? Jumping right from that diving board into the blue bloods. So we'll see what happens. I hope the Pokes win. It's a cool story, especially for a Mountain West team. I mean, Mountain West has two undefeated teams actually: Colorado State and uh, Wyoming uh, in basketball right now. So it's kind of a cool story. But um, man, if 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 the Pokes pull off the upset in this one, they beat Arizona. I cannot see a world in which they are unranked come next week. But all, th- all, all indicators are pointing towards an Arizona win, but we'll see. Basketball, college basketball especially, is is weird that way. Um, the Bucks will have a couple days off after that game uh, before coming back home to take on Utah Valley on Saturday as well with tips scheduled for 8 p.m. in that one too. Uh, you can listen to the huge game against Arizona on Wednesday as well as the rest of the Cowboy basketball games on 1410 AM 
and 106.9 FM KWIO all season long. The Cowgirls basketball team only had one game this past week with a matchup against Gonzaga on the road on Friday. The Cowgirls fell in that one 54-47. It was an ugly game for both offenses, with both teams shooting under 45% from the field. Ola Ostuska, I think I said that right, Ola Ostuska, uh, led both teams in scoring off the bench in this one with 17, po- 17 points on 6 of 9 shooting and also pitched in 3 assists and 2 steals. Uh, McKinley Bradshaw didn't have her scoring touch, scoring just 2 points, but she helped in as many ways as she could, grabbing 8 rebounds, dishing out 2 assists, and accounting for 4 steals and 2 blocks on the defensive end. The Cowgirls have quite a staggered schedule in the coming weeks with only one game this week, and that comes on Sunday when they take on North Dakota State at home with tips scheduled for 1 p.m. in that one. And you can listen to that matchup and all the Cowgirls basketball games on Smart Talk 106.3 FM all season long as well. As of Monday, we are four days into the MLB lockout. The four-year collective bargaining agreement between the Players Association and the owners expired at 11.59 Eastern Time on December 1st. Mr. Bobby Banford. Food is running low, water is becoming scarce, and hope will begin to crumble as the days go by. Commissioner Manfred, I pen to you in a great time of need. The Red Sox need some more bullpen arms and probably a first baseman, and without a CBA in place, no offseason deals can be made. As your dearly beloved, I beg of you, I beg of you, and the players, you and the players, find common ground soon, because if you don't, I'm afraid of what will happen next. Yours truly, and forever, James Tucker. So the MLB lockout, a series of complicated and crisscross knots that are incredibly confusing to everyone, everyone else except the lawyers who draft up the CBA, I'm going to do my best to kind of outline what both sides want in order for them to agree on a deal. This is just going to be a very small, this is like a table of contents to the 600-page book that the lawyers are writing up for the collective bargaining agreement. This is by no means everything, so take this with a grain of salt, okay? Things will change throughout the rest of the the, the lockout, and more things will be added to the table. That's just how lockouts work, and CBAs, it is... One of the most comp- baseball is probably one of the most complicated things to talk about when it comes to off-season acquisitions and all the different types of things that uh, baseball does differently than the other than the other three major leagues. Arbitration comes into play. You have um, you have um, uh, what's the I just forgot about the word. It is um, time uh, service time. That's what it's called. You have service time that comes into play for free agency and contracts. It is a huge, confusing cluster. Um, but first, let's answer what happened. I'm going to do my best, okay? So don't hate me. First, let's answer what happens during a lockout. When there is a lockout, no major league free agents can sign and no trades can be made. Players don't have access to any sort of team facilities. Basically, nobody employed by a team in a non-playing capacity can have any sort of communication with players and free agents who have yet to sign. Uh, when free agents who have yet to sign and the players who are expected to be traded are just kind of stuck in limbo. Uh, teams that have pressing roster needs can still talk about amongst themselves. They can't talk to any particular players, though. 
uh, but they can't, and they also can't make any sort of deal during the lockout. Something fun to do if you have the time is if you go to the uh, MLB's website, MLB.com. It's almost as it's almost like a time capsule right now. Um, you won't find any stories about current MLB players uh, anywhere on the site. And if you go to MLB.tv, you won't find any highlights of players currently playing in the MLB. It's filled with highlights and news from like the pre-1990s. It's kind of fun to look at and just see what the hell was the MLB talking about before 1994 or whatever. It's pretty fun. Uh, now, as for the actual lockout negotiations, let's start with this. The owners have more or less, quote-unquote, won the last few rounds of CBA negotiations. They don't want a whole lot to change because of that. Um, one new request from the owners is an expanded playoffs, something that the players are hugely against, and I think I am against too. We don't need we don't need more baseball. And for and it's already overrun. It's due by the time the final game in the World Series is being played in November of all times. We do not need more playoff games, and I get why they want to do it. Um, you know, more playoff games means more money, both from game-related revenues and larger TV contracts, more playoff teams and all that jazz. So it makes sense why they want to do it. The owners are pushing for hard for a 14-team playoff or even a 12-team field expanded from the current 10-team format. I can't see it. I don't know why. I just – it's too many teams, man. There's that, That's almost half – that's a little less than half the league. That's one team less than half the league would make the playoffs. So – I don't know. It's just a. It's hard to watch MLB as long as baseball as long as it is. You might as well start taking regular season games out, but that's never going to happen. That's my. I wish they would start the the playoffs in September and end them in October. Honestly, but um, I mean, that's never going to happen. Obviously, because you're losing a substantial amount of money with that. So that will never happen. But it's something I wish did happen. Um, but yeah, the owners are pushing for a 14-team field or even a 12-team field for playoffs expanded from the 10-team field. Another thing owners want to do is limit the amount spent on players, of course. However, it's different between richer teams and poorer teams. The richer teams will go after the biggest players, no matter the cost. So your Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, Cubs are your rich teams, but it's different for owners on the lower side of the spectrum. They want to keep owners from those clubs from doing that because it prices them out. It prices the poorer clubs out from the best players, no matter what it is. So even if they are, let's say the Marlins, the Miami Marlins, even if their player is born in Miami and has all the ties to go back to Miami, they're never going to be able to pay. um, They're never going to be able to pay somebody what the Yankees are going to be willing to offer. It's never going to happen, which is a big problem. It's kind of like the English Premier League and soccer in that sense, which is kind of a problem because the English Premier League for soccer is very, very top-heavy. Um, but the thing about baseball is, I mean, anything can happen. It's more random and completely minute on who could win and what happens to when the Braves won. And even though I think they won 86 games this year or 88 games this year. So it's a little different in that sense, but it is, you know, Marlins want to sign these big names and they can't because the Yankees are going to offer them a bunch more money contractually than the Marlins are willing to offer or even can offer. So that's something the lower spectrum of owners want to do. Um, it's an interesting dynamic between the owners. Both want to pay less on players, uh, but the poorer teams want it to be more fair for them so that the the Yankees or the Red Sox aren't just outpricing them every single player that there is. Um, and it makes sense. I mean, obviously. Um, as for the Players Association of Things, they want quite a bit to change, first and foremost, being the tanking problem. Too many teams in any given year just aren't trying to win. 
and to a certain extent, who can blame them? If they can strip their roster to nothing, not only do they save on payroll, they'll be rewarded with a high draft pick in the next season's draft, so there is no point not to uh, you know, just strip your payroll down and hope for a good pick in the next year's draft. There's no reason not to do it. Um, this, in turn, has diminished the market for veteran players who can still contribute, and the players absolutely... Players absolutely hate tanking, mainly for that reason with the veteran players, because it completely diminishes the market, because nobody's looking for veteran players anymore. Um, Another issue the players want changed is a younger player issue. Most players aren't eligible for arbitration until after their third season in the big leagues and aren't eligible to become a free agent until after their sixth season, and teams basically have free reign over salaries for those first three years um, before arbitration. And arbitration is a tough and long legal process, uh, resulting in salaries that are usually far below what players would command on the open market, on the open free agent market. Um, arbitration, for those that aren't familiar, this is a very rough, again, very rough summation of what arbitration is. But arbitration is the two parties, the owner and or the team, um, go to court to basically uh, set their case for how much money they should be paid. So the player says, hey, I had... A, 300, a 320 average this year. I should be being paid blank this amount of money. But then the the owner or the team says, yeah, but you also struck out the league leading 150 times or whatever. So you should actually be paying less. And then the court listens to it. The judge makes the um, makes the decision, and it almost always favors teams. Um, so a solution that the players want, which the owners do not want, is to reduce the amount of time it takes to reach arbitration and free agency. I don't know why they don't get rid of arbitration entirely. It's kind of a, it's really the only thing. One, the MLB is really the only one that does it. You don't see NFL teams do any sort of arbitration like that. You don't see any NBA teams do arbitration like that. Nothing even similar to that. Um, so it's interesting that they don't want to get rid of that entirely. But again, that could just be something that I didn't read. The owners or the you know the league might already have implemented that arbitration is here to stay forever. That sort of things that I just didn't see. But you know, whatever. I'm not a lawyer. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, there are a bunch of other things on the player side that they uh, that they want changed as well. The ML the MLBPA hugely uh, they are hugely anti salary cap, obviously. They also want the competitive balance tax, a.k.a. The luxury, ta- the luxury tax, to get a hefty bump, as well as the practice of service time manipulation to be outlawed, something that I can agree with as well. Both sides do have some common ground to build on, though, as much as it will hurt the baseball old heads around the country, including my dad. Shout out to my dad. He does not like this idea. Both sides are heavily in favor of adding the designated hitter to the National League on a full-time basis that is almost certainly going to happen for owners. It's a way to increase offense and excitement to games. And the idea of losing a high-priced pitcher to the injured list because of an injury suffered while batting or running the bases has become an unacceptable scenario. So owners want to eliminate that as much as possible. For the Players Association, it basically adds 15 more jobs for position players to be DHs. Even though you don't have to have a universal, you don't have to put in a DH. That's something most people don't know. You don't have to put a DH in. So American League teams don't actually have to play a DH, um, but obviously you do, especially on the offensive side. Why wouldn't you play a DH? Um, a, a, a particular case of this, if you go watch Otani, Shohei Otani, they are in the American League. Whenever he pitches, they don't have a DH. It's one through nine, pitcher hits, and Shohei Otani's pitching, and he's hitting in the two-hole or whatever. So that's the idea, the universal DH, 15 more jobs for position players good hitters that can just be DHs and really do nothing else. So 
That's the idea. So, will the season be canceled? I don't think so. We are very long ways away from that, and given what happened to the shortened pandemic season when it was basically canceled for two months, uh, that is something neither side wants to go through again. But the lockout isn't going to end anytime soon. The free agent frenzy in the days leading up to the lockout was pretty obvious sign that both sides are ready to dig in for the long haul. Pitchers and catchers are set to report to spring training in mid-February, something that won't happen if there is still a lockout in progress. And after the lost revenue from the 2020 short fanless season, owners definitely don't want spring or regular season games wiped away. I would hope it ends before spring training starts, but I would I would also not be surprised if we lost some games due to the lockout because of how far apart both sides seem to be right now. Ryan Fagan of Sporting News wrote a great piece about the MLB lockout that I used as a reference a lot here, so make sure you go check him out and check that out at sportingnews.com. Moving to on-the-field stuff and football, the Denver Broncos fell to the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday 22-9. It was a windy game in Arrowhead, and moving the ball through the air proved difficult for both sides. But the Chiefs' defense continues to rise to the occasion when it matters most, including this game. And I believe I read somewhere that they hadn't given up a touchdown in like three games before Javante Williams scored in this game. A crazy feat that did not seem possible uh, Whatever, four weeks ago when the, the Chiefs' team was... Uh, uh, a shambles. It was in a shambles, especially on defense. Um, for the Broncos, though, the uh, Teddy Bridgewater just could not push the ball downfield in the swirling wind, and the Broncos' offense was stagnant all night. Prior to garbage time, Bridgewater completed... Only- Wouldn't it be great if you could get McDonald's delivered right to your door? Well, now you can. McDonald's has teamed up with the delivery app DoorDash. Just download the DoorDash app in the App Store and you'll see the McDonald's menu. Order your favorite McDonald's food and have it delivered right to your door. It's super easy and convenient to have your favorite McDonald's delivered. Go to the App Store, download the DoorDash app, and have McDonald's delivered to your house or business today. Two of his nine passes targeted uh, eight or more yards down the field. Not a great stat, but it was a windy night, so I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. It was a Javante Williams one-man show in the backfield in this one, though. He went for 102 yards on 23 carries with 83 of those yards coming after contact. Williams also added a late score through the air. It seemed like uh, not one single person was able to take Williams down all night, and I pray to the gods above that he begins getting more handoffs out of the backfield, not just for my fantasy team's sake, but because he clearly looks like the better back out of the backfield. Uh, the receiving core also obviously was affected by the wind all night. Jerry Judy was their eventual leader in receiving yards with 58 on three catches, but he had to gain 44 of those yards after the catch. On the offensive line, rookie Quinn Miners had a tough go of things, lining up against dominant defensive tackle Chris Jones. Miners made some good blocks in the uh, in the run game, but he allowed three pressures, a sack, a hit, and a hurry in, pras- in pass protection. The opposite guard, uh, Dalton Risner, probably had the best day on the O-line, allowing just one pressure and one hit all night long in pass protection while getting a 70.6 run-blocking rate from Pro Football Focus. On the defensive side of the ball, Bradley Chubb and the Bronco defensive line had a very disappointing game, rushing the passer, combining for only six pressures on the day, with Chubb accounting for just one. Uh, the Broncos' linebackers were once again picked on all game in the passing game. Uh, the Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes' 184 passing yards uh, of Patrick Mahomes' 184 passing yards, a ridiculous 159 of them came against the Broncos duo, linebacking duo, of Baron Browning and Kenny Young. Um, they allowed all 11, 11 of their targets to be caught in another bad outing. It was a bad night for the linebacking core, as we've been saying all season long. Um, 
They're going to continue to be picked on all season long as well throughout the rest of the season. Um, and it's no fault of them. Injuries have really, really hurt this Bronco linebacking core very obviously. And um, there's just not a lot you can do now at this point, especially trade trade deadlines way long gone. Um, so you kind of just have to work with what you got at this point. Um, the secondary uh, played pretty well all game with Patrick Sertain having another great night, allowing just one catch for 14 yards. While also coming down with his fourth interception of the season, safety Caden Stearns gave, Caden Stearns, excuse me, gave up the most yardage with 38 yards, all of it coming from one play though, but he only allowed the lone reception on two targets all night. Overall, it was a pretty ugly game from both sides, but this Broncos offense needs better conditions than that, than that if they want to be able to run toe to toe with the Chiefs. They can't beat Mother Nature and that offense at the same time. Uh, that loss means they will have to tack another year onto the streak of losses at Arrowhead dating back to 2015, barring a meeting in the playoffs. The Broncos now sit at 6-6, six and six, tied with the Raiders for fourth place in the AFC West, and next up we'll have a meeting with the now 1-10-1 Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions are 1-10-1 for a reason. They don't really do anything with that, that well. Uh, they have one of the worst defenses and worst offenses in the NFL on defense, they have bottom five ranks in the NFL in opponent points per game, opponent po- yards per game, opponent points per play, opponent yards per play, opponent rushes per game, and rushes rush yards per game, as well as opponent yards per pass. On offense, they sport bottom five ranks in points per game, points per play, po- yards per play, touchdowns per game, pass yards per game, and yards per pass. There isn't a whole lot to talk about here, folks. This is a game the Broncos should win handily, the Lions did get the monkey off their back with their first win coming against the Vikings last week. Please don't talk to me. But this team is the perfect punching bag for the Broncos to dominate after that disappointing loss on Sunday. The Broncos, as of Monday, are eight-point favorites, and we will see if the Broncos can bounce back above 500 when they take on the Lions on Sunday. And you can hear all the action live with pregame scheduled for 225 and kickoff scheduled for 405 p.m. on 1410 a.m., 106.9 FM, KWYO. As for the rest of the NFL's Week 13, it started on Thursday when the Cowboys traveled to New Orleans and got a dominant victory over the Saints 27-17. to I still can't believe that Sean Payton is trying to roll Taysom Hill out there as a quarterback. Like, there is no way, there's no way you'll convince me that Trevor Simeon would have done worse than Taysom in that game. They're paying Taysom Hill $21.5 million guaranteed dollars to throw four picks and rush for 101 yards. It just doesn't make any sense to me. He's not a good quarterback. He's a bona fide tight end. Yes, he does a lot of different stuff, which, granted, that's valuable, but he's not great at any one thing that he does. He is valuable in what he adds to the offense in how many different things he can do, but he's not a quarterback. You can't just throw people like that into a quarterback situation. He's not good enough. I'm sorry. $21.5 million guaranteed, too. Oof. That's a big oofer right there. Uh, that moves us to Sunday. The Indianapolis Colts traveled down to Houston and shut out the Texans 31 to nothing. Running back Jonathan Taylor is making a very strong case for Offensive Player of the Year and, dare I say, MVP. He had another 143 yards on the ground and two touchdowns against the Texans, making it 10 straight games for Taylor with a rushing touchdown. I would also like to thank the Colts' defense for keeping this a shutout because it uh, allowed my under 45 points bet to hit. So love and kisses to all their fam- families. Thank you very much. That's to them. Uh, the Detroit Lions, uh, why did I put this one next? The Detroit Lions beat the Minnesota Vikings at home 29-27. to uh, Last second touchdown pass from Jared Goff to Lamont St. Brown. I don't even want to talk about this. This is what the Vikings do. 
They are the absolute best. They're the best in the league at playing at their to their competition. They have no reason to be losing to this team. They have one of the best position groups in the NFL, and the Lions practically handed them the game with a fumble on a fourth and one on the Detroit 21 with four minutes to play in which the Vikings ensued to score um, and then just give up an easy 80-yard drive to Jared Goff playing prevent defense the whole time. And uh, Amonte Brad scored with no time on the clock running an eight-yard curl route. So it's fun. Uh, the game should absolutely be the nail in the coffin that sends this administration walking. I'm being serious about that. It was an embarrassing performance, but good for the Lions, though. I'm all for seeing Man Campbell, Dan Campbell, a.k.a. Man Campbell, uh, getting emotional, uh, getting emo- get emotional and uh, get a win for Detroit and for Oxford. Uh, the Los Angeles Chargers went on the road and beat the Cincinnati Bengals 41-22. to This was a premium quarterback duel with Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow going back and forth with the Chargers jumping out to a 24 to nothing lead. And then the Bengals came back and made it 24-22. to And then the Chargers scored another 17 unanswered to pull away in the end. And Joe Burrow was playing with a hurt pinky. I think he dislocated it, if I remember hearing right. Dislocated his finger, and he was still out there just dealing. Just dealing. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals went on the road to a snowy and cold Chicago and beat the Bears 33-22. to Who says warm teams can't beat cold teams? That is a terrible, I hate, I, I'm blanking on the word, but I, I hate that thing. Warm teams can't beat cold teams. I mean, come on. Only, t- I, come on. I don't entirely believe it. Even though I made the argument that the, um, Rams would lose to the Packers if it was cold in Green Bay last week or a couple of weeks ago. I'm tripping over my own words. I have a my the beginning of my sports career is well in hand. Uh, Arizona has the best record in the NFC, but probably the most impressive part is the fact that they they are undefeated on the road, becoming just the third team in NFL history to win seven straight road games by double digits in a single season. They've been the best team in the NFC and probably the best team in the NFL so far this season. If they keep this up, uh, they won't have to play any playoff games on the road. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers went on the road and beat the Atlanta Falcons 30-17. to Tom Brady extended his record to 10-0 and against the Falcons, and he and Gronk are just 23 more regular season touchdowns away from tying Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison for the most all-time by a duo. The Rams were at home and had an easy game against the Jacksonville Jaguars, one they, that they dominated, winning 37-7. to The Jags are pretty much a joke at this point, if they haven't been already, and Jalen Ramsey recovered a fumble in his revenge game against his former team. I want to talk about Trevor Lawrence has been sliding, just sliding easy. I think he has uh, Zach Wilson to think for that because he's kind of been the butt of all the jokes this year. But Trevor Lawrence has not looked good for the most part. He doesn't, he hasn't turned the ball over that much as of recently, but he was earlier in the season. But it's not like he's slinging it downfield. He doesn't have that many weapons. I get that. But I was expecting more from the number one overall pick led by Urban Meyer, you know. So he's sliding. He's He's getting the... He's get the benefit of the doubt, and I will not have it anymore. That's BS. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles beat the New York Jets on the road 33-18. The 83.9 pass rating, speaking of, of uh, that, Pat, that Zach Wilson has received, uh, that Zach Wilson received in this game is his highest of the season, while Gardner Minshew made his return to the starting lineup this time for the Eagles, and he did a fantastic job, had a fantastic game, going 20 for 25 with 242 yards and two touchdowns. Highly efficient, highly efficient. And uh, Minshew Mania, I think it's back. I think it's back, ladies and gentlemen. Pull out the jorts. He's back. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks were at home and beat the San Francisco 49ers 32-23. Just when it looked like the 49ers were getting back into playoff contention, they dropped this big-time divisional matchup. 
the Seahawks are looking to play spoiler. Russell Wilson looked like his old self, going 30 for 37 for 231 yards with two touchdowns and one pick. And Adrian Peterson scored a touchdown to pass, I think it was Walter Payton. I'm saying that, I'm just shooting that out into the world. I don't know if that's right. I think it was Walter Payton on the all-time touchdown list. So congrats to Adrian Peterson, my favorite player growing up. He went to Oklahoma, and he was the first player I fell in love with as a as a kid. And I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a fan of whatever team he goes to. And I did, the Minnesota Vikings. Fun fact. Uh, welcome to Fun Facts with James Timberlake. Uh, the Miami Dolphins were at home and beat the New York Giants 20-9. I've been telling you guys, I've been telling you, I'm far away from the mic. I've been telling you to keep an eye out for the Dolphins. They are in full-blown spoiler mode at this point. They won five in a row. They're six and seven, one game away from being above, or being at 500. Uh, two has been dealing, and the defense has been playing great. They could easily sneak their way into the AFC playoffs with some easy games remaining on their schedule. In probably the best game of the day, the Pittsburgh Steelers were at home and beat the Baltimore Ravens 20-19. to The Ravens had 17 more minutes of possession than the Steelers had in the first half, and this game still came down to the very last play of the game in which John Harbaugh elected to go for the two-point conversion with 12 seconds to play uh, to try to win the game, but Lamar Jackson's pass barely went off the hands of Mark Andrews, giving the Steelers the win. I will not have anybody saying that they made the wrong decision. They were down their best cornerback. The Steelers were shredding the... um, the the Ravens uh, pass defense and um, they made the right choice. They'll live to, they'll live with that. They're eight and four. They're still in command of their own destiny, especially in the AFC North. They can live with a loss like that any day of the week. Um, finally, the Washington Football Team went on the road to Las Vegas and beat the Raiders seventeen to fifteen. It was an incredibly resilient win for WFT going on going to the other side of the country on a short week against a team that had an extra three day break um, and it's basically a mini buy and they were at home. It was a huge win for the Burgundy and Gold, and it sets them up nicely for a season-ending NFC East push. That's going to wrap up, wrap things up for me, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening to my lockout nonsense, my um, my little poem to it's not really a poem, my little love letter to Rob Manfred, Bobby Manfred, please, and the players. Let's get this done. Red Sox need a first baseman and a bullpen arm, so we need to do that. Let's 